0: Who haven't uh, read the plaque uh, will read the plaque that's on the front planning gear of this lamb. Underneath it says, Dear men from the planet Earth, it came in peace for old man Kai and Kai and Kai and Kai and Kai and Kai.
1: Welcome back to part two of this very interesting show we have today with Richard Hoagland. And we've just started to scratch the surface, Richard, about what we have on the agenda of NASA and all that. But before we go on, Richard, I want to tell you something before we start. Okay, uh, I forgot to tell you also that, that when we talk about the antediluvian and uh, old traditions, they say that the fall... Uh, was the earth tilted, and from resonating a pure note, it resonated a distorted note that affected the consciousness. Mm. That's part of the story. Now, before now, wait, we go, wait,
0: when, when you say part of the, which story?
1: Oh, the, I was mentioning old uh, oral traditions uh, in the mystery schools. Oh, oh. So...
0: Yeah, I think it's not only... I think it goes back to the war, and when the one planet was destroyed in the solar system, which had been... A kind of, you know, Kepler, music of the spheres, perfectly in resonance. Music of the spheres. It it, it went into dissonance, and what's interesting to me is that nobody has fixed it. Right. Why haven't they fixed it?
1: Maybe we went under, you know, with it, became primitives.
0: Or someone didn't want us to fix it. Right.
1: See? Keep them in a prison planet, yes. Exactly, Yes.
0: yes, yes.
1: Uh, And this isn't a big deal, but I think it's interesting to know this. Now, we have a lot of ancient oral traditions and we have a lot of uh, documents too that says one thing that I never got to match anything until I discovered you is, and, and this isn't even politically correct, but they say that the... Black race, basically, originated on Earth. They say everyone is human beings. Yes. Everyone is the same. But they say that the origin to the black race, because we're all r- mixed today, but the origin to the black is from Earth. They say the origin to the... They say yellow, about uh, bet, as races. So let's say Asians <laughs> are from the planet Mars. They say that the origins to the giants... Are from what's now I guess the exploded planet between Mars and Jupiter mm. and they say that <laughs> i don 't know what to make of this. the region of the white people is from inside the earth. This is obviously interpreted as myth mythical or symbolism or whatever, right mm. but it has an interesting parallel to what we're rediscovering now,
0: well yeah, mm. and also the antagonism between the races mm. Which almost at some level appear to be genetically engineered, kind of like the Tower of Babel on steroids. Yeah. Hmm. And there appears to have been a remediation program to try to obviate that at the genetic level, which is what I think a lot of these so-called alien abductions really are, the, the real ones, not, not the fake ones yeah that's, that's that's a whole that's a whole other program <laughs> because true. it's like we've been cut off from our roots from our heritage deliberately and you know put some of this again tiptoeing between the minefields <laughs> that helps that helps so okay
1: now uh, there's three big things I want to cover in this part uh, if you could elaborate a little on how we actually got to the moon sure if you could elaborate a little on the missing lunar footage, because all these things for newcomers, many claims are extraordinary, but if we substantiate it with these small facts, they realize, hey, these guys are rational, right? (laughs) And the third thing is... Touch a little upon certain NASA whistleblowers like Ken Johnston. I guess that's a part of the missing footage. So these are very important p- thing we have to get to. Al,
0: I want to come back to the idea of Andaluvian civilizations because that ties in with Kennedy and with the bigger picture. We
1: can do that. And but,
0: the secret space program. Yeah, you'll
1: see. Yeah, but I think uh, if you're game in the future, we should have you on for an entire that as an entire topic oh my God, because yes. we have a serious we have a series on that too yes. and that's one of the things with you that I so enjoy that and Joseph actually that you both have a very sound attitude and perspective on this because this isn't alien central just so you know not that I'm denying it but we're much more into the antediluvian so oh, super now I mentioned to you in the break. Uh, The we never went to the moon meme. I'd like us to start this second segment to find out whence that originated that has allowed for this outlandish theory that's got uh, revival, the flat earth theory, you know, Yep. I usually say the ancient astronauts, ancient aliens meme is a distraction from the antediluvian civilization. Right. And also I'd say that the we never went to the moon meme is a distraction from the secret space program. Yep. And add to that, that flat earth is a distraction from the hollow earth. So could we just for the record start there? Because I know you have an inside information about where that meme, we never went to the moon, may have originated and now notwithstanding of course the uh, fake footage and all that that can be explained too but like i said to you i think it's a distraction from the classified space program and also if if you could also debunk uh, with a couple of simple arguments the flat earth theory (laughs) i hope this isn't too much on your plate
0: no no not at all not at all Um, Okay, let me let me try to give some backstory here because it's really important. I want to go back to the Kennedy thing because Eisenhower created NASA in 1958. Mm -hmm. Kennedy was elected in 1960. He was elected in part on a touted missile gap, a uh, ballistic missile gap, you know, World War Three kind of stuff with the Soviet Union. That's what got him elected. Barely. And then when he was in office, suddenly the so-called missile gap kind of went away, you know. Since when has hyperpo- hyperbole ever been forbidden in, in political, you know, context?
1: It's mandatory. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but what's interesting, and again, I'm, I'm a data-oriented kind of guy. I like evidence. I love evidence. You know, I love speculation. I will speculate as madly as anybody, I guess. But I like to anchor my speculation in real data, which a lot of people don't yet know is real data. And that's part of what you have to do is you have to show them, convince them that it's actual real scientific information on which you're basing your far out speculation. I'm into that. So what, one of the things that happened is I was invited to a conference some years ago by Stephen Greer. And, uh, you know, Stephen Greer has a kind of a controversial reputation, I suppose, in some quarters, but I've known Stephen, you know, since, He was a medical doctor in North Carolina, so I accepted and I showed up at his conference and I gave a presentation on the moon and all that. Mm -hmm. And after the conference, a guy comes up and approaches me and says kind of quietly, "Um, I have some original spy satellite imagery on film from the original spy satellites that were experimented with by the CIA and the Air Force back in the 1950s, Wow! would would you be interested in having it? (laughs) Yeah, would you? (laughs) Like, is the Pope a Franciscan? Uh, yeah. (laughs) So that night, we sit down at dinner at this conference, you know, a bunch of us, um, and we talk about how logistically I can get to Houston to pick up the film because that's where this guy was from. Mm. Unbeknownst to me, one of the people at the table, well, I actually knew he was an agent. I just didn't know he was an agent still working for them. This guy, without telling anybody, gets on an airplane, goes to Houston, picks up this film, and takes it home with him. In other words, he stole it. Wow. And at the table, we had, we had arranged for another mode of transfer, I was going to send someone that I, you know, knew, a, a deputized guy, uh, who would pick it up for me, my representative, bring it back, give it to me for analysis. No, this this secret agent guy, who works for one of the alphabet agencies, <clears throat> who I've known for decades, hmm. uh, he came to me during the Reagan years. Um, he went all by himself, picked it up, and took it home. You mean home to himself? Home to himself, to his where he lives, and I'm not going to give names. I'm not going to give names. No, name no, no. But to secure it, or or, or to no, sabotage? Well, he claimed that this was something I should not have because it was classified. In fact, <laughs> uh, the program is called Corona. It was a top secret CIA classified spy mission in the 50s and 60s, and then Bill Clinton declassified the program in the 1990s and published and posted through the National Archives, and in the Smithsonian and other places, a whole bunch of images taken by the Corona satellite series. So technically, it was not classified anymore. What the douchebag. But, but, well, I think it's more complicated. I think it's much more complicated. Because remember, there's an official government, and then there's the unofficial layers of the government. You think he was trying to protect you then, or...? Either to protect me from the bad guys who would come after me because I had something that I wasn't supposed to have. Mm-hmm. That's the most. Because this person had been very faithful and reliable with data up until this point.
1: Uh, I'd say these questions, uh, his intentions, and what he's been telling you—you know—disinformation comes yeah, but, in half truths. Yeah,
0: well, I'm I'm well aware of half truths, and I'm yeah. I know. There's a couple of lies different at every level, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. In fact, mm-hmm. this person originated that phrase oh that's him yes that's mm. him i see i i call him deep space <laughs> you know like in watergate there was deep throat yeah yeah excellent well, this is my source deep space okay right, right. and he was very reliable up until he wasn't mm. now what he did do is he gave me a couple of screen grabs from the film he would literally put the film you know which was i guess uh uh, 35 millimeter. It was big film. Cause remember back in those days, they had to take pictures on film, mm-hmm. then deorbit the film canister, which was picked up by an airplane flying over the Pacific snared on a, on a kind of a trapeze in midair at 20, 30,000 feet. And then they bring it inside, reel it inside the back of the plane. It was a cargo plane. So the back opened up, they'd reel this in like a, like on a fishing line and mm-hmm. then secure the capsule, land the plane, at an Air Force base, then transport the capsule with the film to CIA headquarters at Langley, where it was developed. The whole idea was you're looking down on the Soviet Union to see where all their missiles are in the, in the uh, wake of the Kennedy you know, proclamation running up to the presidency that there was this huge missile gap. Hmm. So I, I don't get the film to hold and to look at, but I do get some screenshots that he scanned and sent to me of the film and the report of what's on the film and what was stunning is this was this was test footage this wasn't the actual operational reconnaissance footage by the operational system the corona satellite system this was a couple of the early tests of the technology and they had huge problems in getting everything to work from the technology in the spacecraft to the recovery to the launches, I mean, they had huge problems, and ultimately it wasn't until well into the program that they actually got successful reconnaissance footage of the Soviet Union back. Mm-hmm. So I've got early test footage, which is priceless. And I'm looking at these these shots that this person sent me, and I'm listening to him describe what's on the whole reel. And what's stunning, and what stunned him, was the entire reel had not one image of a bridge or an air uh, air bomber or an Air Force base or a rocket silo in the Soviet Union, they were all pictures taken by the Corona satellite orbiting the Earth a couple hundred miles up <clears throat> of the moon. Hmm. Every single frame was shot of the moon. Hmm. Now think about this. This was this top secret, incredibly sophisticated, technologically almost impossible mission to find, you know, Russian bombers before they blew us to kingdom come. Mm -hmm. And yet during the test footage, they weren't looking down. I mean, wouldn't Mm -hmm. you want to test your reconnaissance satellite looking down? You'd think so, yeah. To see see bombers and air force bases and all that? Mm -hmm. They took every single frame of the moon. So I took this one scan and I blew it up and I looked at the edge. And I realized what they were doing. They were looking for the ancient glass cities on the limb of the lighted moon. Mm. The whole project, codenamed Corona. Think about what what Mm. Corona, the sun's Corona. When do you see the sun's Corona? When the moon comes between the sun, blots out the sun, and the faint light of the corona, 93 million miles beyond, can be seen like in the great 2017 eclipse we experienced a couple, three weeks ago.
1: But from this, we, we have no choice other than infer that on the original tape that was stolen was something huge that just couldn't get out. Otherwise, why would he bother to give you anything at all?
0: Well, exactly. And see, what I got was exactly what I was hoping I would get. In fact, it was more than I was hoping I would get because I never I never thought Project Corona really was about looking at missile silos in the Soviet Union. I always thought it was the first of the secret space programs designed to look at structures on the moon, because if you basically send a spacecraft with film into Earth orbit, the next step is you can send that same spacecraft with film on a lunar trajectory. To loop around the moon, or if you got the fuel to go into orbit around the moon, to Mm -hmm. photograph the structures on the moon close up, then deorbit, bring the film out of lunar orbit back to Earth, re-enter the Earth's atmosphere, pick up the film, develop it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Back during the 1957 hoo-ha over Sputnik, there was a brilliant engineer at JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, now an adjunct NASA center connected through caltech it's not really a nasa center so you can't get FOI information because it's a private never independent in the beginning it they always have been independent okay they were just had a contract with nasa right technically right. you can't get FOI information on anybody working for jpl because they don't work for nasa they work for a private contractor called the california institute of technology we tried to get Malin's contract, the principal investigator. But, but is it a private corporation or public? No, 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 no. It's, it's part of Caltech. Okay. You know, it, it, but it's, its legal structure is through the university. It's not like a separate think tank. Mm. And it's under contract with the university to NASA, but it's not really a NASA center, except it's the headquarters for all robotic solar system exploration going back to the Ranger program in the 1960s.
1: And of course, it's the it's the cradle of the infamous Jack Parsons. Yes,
0: yes, of course, that's, his playground. Yeah, that's right. So it had its
1: origins. But back to the meme of we never went to the moon.
0: <clears throat> let me let me build up to this, okay? Okay. So I found that the first operational flight that got us this film occurred under Jack Kennedy's administration. Mm-hmm. So Jack Kennedy got to look at this film, hmm. not at bombers in the Soviet Union but at ancient glass structures on the moon. Right. You understand what this did to him? Yeah,
1: this explains a lot.
0: The Apollo Project was an entire ensemble to cover our going to the moon, not to pick up rocks, not to plant a flag, but to find out firsthand who the hell had built these awesome, incredible, super-advanced, ancient structures on the moon, photographed by Project Corona spy satellites, in the late 50s, early 60s.
1: And for people who haven't, uh, is are not that familiar with your research on this, let's, let me just rush to add that when you mention glass and they're starting to laugh, just tell
0: us what glass does on the moon. Well, glass is, if you create something out of glass in a vacuum compared to on Earth, it becomes so much stronger because it doesn't have uh, water in it water Mm. inclusions, which weaken glass, make it brittle and all that, it can become at least as strong, if not much stronger, than steel. Mm. Plus, glass is so easy to manufacture on the moon because most of the moon's surface is silicon and oxygen, silicon dioxide. So you make basically anything you want out of glass. Now, Mm. there's a bunch of people that were recommending to NASA back in the 60s that when we built our first moon bases, when NASA built its first moon bases— that it would build them out of glass because that would be a very strong stable substance it would uh, help prevent radiation it would guard against heat if you dope it with certain metals you can create filters that filter out the ultraviolet so the ancient structures we're finding all over the moon we found now on all the nasa missions <clears throat> are made of glass um we've actually found them also on the japanese missions we found stunning examples on the recent 2013 Chinese robotic mission, the Chang-3 unmanned robotic mission and its little rover, Jade Rabbit. We have images from both missions simultaneously of glass structures on the moon that look absolutely identical to the glass structures photographed by the Apollo astronauts with handheld film cameras. And I published all this stuff on the EnterpriseMission.com website, so you can go there and uh, yeah, and, and in
1: your book, I have to say, especially in the revised edition, beautiful pictures for everyone who's skeptical to what uh, Richard is talking about here. Use your eyes, see for yourself. And it's not just Richard. No, 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 absolutely. There's a whole host of people who has, uh, I mean, Joseph Skipper, I don't know if that's yeah. still online. But there's so much that's leaked that you cannot deny this. You can see obvious uh, manipulations of the pictures. And there's been people working for NASA who has come out and uh, admitted that was a job. So if this is new to anyone, just remember in the context of what we're discussing here, there's a whole basis of research and evidence that we assume
0: you know about. And if not, go educate yourself. So you- one of the um, um, additions to the culture that Donald Trump has done for us is to give us the label fake news and the idea that all these mainstream outlets, some major component, not everything, but some major component of their news coverage is planned. It's fake. It's manipulated. It's not the truth. It's it's kind of Emily Dickinson territory. Tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Um, yeah, we have to give kudos to John Rappaport, though. Yes, yes. And among others, I mean, there's a whole field of people that are digging deeper. But see, I grew up in an era where Walter Cronkite was the most trusted man in America. Mm. You didn't you didn't doubt what the evening news purveyor provided you. Because you weren't aware, the world is so complex, and there are all kinds of agendas swirling constantly in the background that you're never supposed to see. Because then you'll begin to ask questions, and they, whoever they are, yeah. they never want you asking questions. So yeah, he,
1: he wouldn't get job today in today's media.
0: Probably not. Probably not. Mm. Um, but back so, to
1: the Corona project.
0: Yeah. So so Project Corona. I always thought when, particularly when I got this data. And all the weird politicalness around it, how I wasn't allowed to actually have the all the film. I only got a couple of scans. Mm. But they were enough to show me that every single frame had to have been to test the cameras to ultimately be sent to the moon. Because, as I was going to say a moment ago, back when Sputnik occurred, one genius engineer at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory long before NASA was created, when JPL was just a lab connected with the California Institute of Technology... He proposed to NASA a project called Project Red Sox. Mm-hmm. Now, I, he was, he was uh, Australian. His name was James Pickering. He ultimately became one of the key directors of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. But before he was named director, he proposed this project called Red Sox, having nothing to do with the American baseball team headquartered in, in <laughs> Boston, I okay. don't think. Okay. Um, but the proposal was to take a film camera, like in the Corona satellites, sent it on a looping mission around the moon and photographed the moon close up as an answer to Sputnik in 1958-1959. Now, I can find no paper trail that demonstrates to me that it it worked, that they did it, but it's only logical to assume that if they were developing (laughs) satellite-based film camera reconnaissance technology in Earth orbit, And the test film we've got shows nothing but the moon was photographed. The whole Corona project really had nothing to do with looking for missiles in the Soviet Union. It had to do with preparing the technology to loop around the moon and take pictures of the ancient ruins from, quote, ETs or aliens, right? Hey, hey, what if there were missiles on the moon? Well, but then someone would have to put them there. Exactly. And who would have put them there? The technology, both for us and the Soviet Union at that time, was not able. What about the Nazis? Yeah, but the Nazis didn't have that technology then. They had it later, but they didn't have it then. Okay. You know, you, you remember, doing things complicated is very, it's an infrastructure that has to whole have a whole bunch of tools to make the tools to make the tools to make the tools.
1: Uh, yeah, that's true.
0: You have to create a civilization before you can start building things like missiles. Now you could import missiles, but why would you use missiles if you've got secret anti-gravity technology that makes missiles obsolete, which yeah. is what the uh, the, bell, uh, the Nazi bell and the experiments the Nazis conducted toward the end of the war demonstrated the Tesla death ray. And well, you know, you, know you, can, you can look at some of Tesla's work, modernized, brought forward. The whole point is that the whole Cold War appears to have been a giant canard, a giant false front Western town, a huge exercise in fake news to keep the world from knowing what was really going on, which is we were preparing for aliens. Because once you have structures on the moon verified, built by a super race that you cannot possibly match technologically, Mm. the military of every country is going to be looking up. (laughs) Remember that great uh, 1950s uh, film, uh, called, I think it was, was it they, no, it wasn't they live, it was the body snatchers. Yeah. Classica. Body snatchers. And the last line is, they're coming, they're coming, and that <laughs> kind of thing.
1: So we were afraid of our own shadow, literally, because we thought, hey, destruction must be alien.
0: <laughs> well, keep in mind that if we go back to the antediluvian part of our conversation, who do human beings really have to fear? Ourselves. Exactly. Other human, mm. people, even if they don't live here. Mm. So if you grew up reading ancient sacred texts, if you're part of a secret society or in group or, you know, the masons or whatever, and you know, this stuff is real and, you know, technologically, when you develop the, the means, you can go and check on it. The first thing you're going to realize is, A, it's not built by aliens, it's built by relatives. Mm. And B, family is so much more dangerous than strangers, okay yeah
1: but it's much easier to get to rattle people up in fear if it's strangers
0: oh, of course of course you know the other make the other this people. makes sense mm. yeah but again we're we're looking at a almost like a chinese puzzle box a lie within a lie within a lie within a lie yeah which gets us now to nasa landing on the moon and the huge you know cottage industry which grew up overnight that we never went to the moon if you're NASA... And
1: can you blame them, Richard? You see so many errors. Uh, you talked about a director. Uh, you have another director that's often mentioned here, Stanley Kubrick. Right. In relation to the footage.
0: Well, Stanley Kubrick actually is quoted somewhere that he could never have pulled off, you know, the, the fake lunar landing. Now, you can do individual images, but you can't create the backdrop. So what I think they've done in some of the scenes from Apollo is they've simply altered the backdrop.
1: Because
0: you you take what's there and then you modify it. Uh, But you've got real stuff and fake stuff in the same picture. Yeah,
1: like flags that's blowing when there's no wind, stuff like
0: that. No, 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 that's inertia. That's when you're putting the flag in and you're twisting that pole. Okay. The inertia will make, because the flag was not just a flag, it was on a wire. Right. That was developed by an engineer at Houston for, and he went actually to Kmart or Walmart or someplace and bought a Dacron flag. Because that was a kind of a last-minute thought to put Mm. a flag on the mission to have the astronauts plant a flag, and he had to put it on a wire, and it actually didn't unfold properly, so it's crinkled. So no, that see that again, that's that's misinformation. That's not understanding. I see.
1: So so you you assert actually that the footage is real. It's just manipulated. Oh
0: absolutely, you know, and that's not even manipulated. It's just if you're if you're trying to put this extended flag on a wire into the lunar surface, which is mysteriously much harder than they imagined you know it was really 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 almost like rock-hard consistency instead of fluffy dust Mm. so they really had to work to to put the flagpole down in it so it wouldn't fall over Mm. and when they left the lunar uh, landscape on the uh, ascent stage of the lunar module you can see in some of the film that the flag is whipping around in the exhaust thrust from the rockets and then a couple of them actually do fall over. So we've got it's something... So
1: good. It's so good that you tell us this. In fact, we, we ought to have just a show debunking every of these claims because it can be explained by science, can't it? And manipulation.
0: Well, the thing that debunked the whole thing for me is that I am a reporter. I am working for CBS News. I'm working for the Special Events Division of CBS News. I'm working... For for Walter Cronkite Mm -hmm. I'm out at JPL the 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 summer of of uh you know Apollo Mm -hmm. July and we're at the North American Rockwell Corporation I built a huge walk through solar system so that our correspondents could actually talk about the future of the space effort after after Apollo after the moon Mm -hmm. and we had some guests very famous guests walking through that um that you know, walk through the solar system, but after the guys left the moon, the New York called us up and said, Okay, we want you to move up the street from Downey, California, a few miles up the freeway to JPL because NASA had arranged to have two flybys of Mars, Mariner 6 and Mariner 7, that same week later in the week, dictated by celestial mechanics. So we picked up everything, packed up everything, we moved up the freeway up to uh. The shadow of the San Gabriel Mountains there at JPL uh, in Pasadena. And uh, when I walked in the press room, you know, everybody who's anybody in, in the mainstream press in those days was covering, you know, space launches. New mm. York Times, Wall Street Journal. Washington Post. Yeah, it was the, it was the big event, obviously. Oh, yeah. yeah, and we had hundreds of, of correspondents from other countries. Yeah, like Japan and Italy and England. Yeah, and we,
1: we had our Norwegian uh, Walter Cronkite uh, too. <laughs> <Yeah. person. laughs>
0: well, everybody had a Walter Cronkite. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I forget who the guy at the BBC was. I actually met him, Howard Dimbleby, I think was his name. Mm. Uh, very proper British gentleman. Yeah. Anyway, so space was huge. Yep. So we, we along with a whole bunch of other people, we transferred our attention from Apollo. The astronauts are safely on their way home. And we went to JPL to cover the, the the robotic mission, Mariner, I think it was Mariner 6, that was supposed to fly by Mars later that week. Walked in the press room at JPL, set up, you know, we all had little desks and assigned places in the in the auditorium so we could ask questions during press conferences and all that. And suddenly, I saw this guy walking around the press room, stopping at every one of the major mainstream, both domestic and international correspondents, with their reporters, their television setups and all this, handing out little packets of something. Mm -hmm. So, naturally, I wandered over and I'm standing, you know, along with a kind of a cubby of all these journalists this guy is dressed like somebody out of um, uh, Easy Rider or an old Western film. He had one of those big, kind of duster great coats on they used to <laughs> wear in the days of Spaghetti Western? <laughs> uh, kind of, you know. It was a big, uh, light colored, tannish colored great coat. Okay. Um, and he's got this little. Sounds s- very
1: cloak and dagger.
0: And he's got this little satchel, and he's handing out little packets to all the press people. Like, I, I, hang on. Was he an official
1: NASA uh, man? I mean, no, no, you know, no. For for all you could determine there and then,
0: he was. Well, he was. A he was not dressed like any NASA guy I ever saw. No. There was, there was no button-down, you know, shirt. There was no pocket protector, no little black string tie, no crew cut. You know, he was. I, I think he had a cowboy hat. He was wearing this, you know, western duster, a big duster. They used to call it a duster because it protected you in cattle stampedes or or trail drives from the dust. All oh, you know? right, right, all right. Mm. And he's got this satchel over his shoulder, like 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 a like a Pony Express satchel, a big satchel. (laughs) And he's got these little things and he's handing one to every reporter. So I get one. Mm -hmm. And it turned out to be a mimeographed sheet with an American flag printed on aluminized mylar. Mylar is a space age material that DuPont originally developed to wrap bread in until they found that housewives would starve because they could never open the bread wrappers. (laughs) <laughs> and then the uh, the Mylar balloon of the of the Echo balloon series. And it became a a, 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 um, a vacuum plated insulation material on all kinds of spacecraft. Mm. All the gold stuff you see on the lunar module, that's Mylar with gold sprayed on it in, okay. in the vacuum. So he hands out this very space age thing. He looks like somebody out of the 18th century, you know, great Western tradition. Mm. And he's got this. Pony Express pouch and he's handing people these packets and includes this Mylar flag and this little pamphlet so I start reading the pamphlet and the pamphlet is claiming that Americans who right now are en route back from the moon Lovell, not Lovell, Um uh, Aldrin and um, um, uh, Armstrong? Armstrong and Collins are in the command module and service module headed back to Earth about halfway between Earth and, Mars, um, Earth and Mars Earth and the Moon headed mm-hmm. back to a splash down in the Pacific as this guy is walking around an official NASA press room giving out a pamphlet which says drumroll it's all fake <laughs> NASA never went to the Moon it was all shot on a studio set in Nevada wow I described this in my own... This is
1: live, as it's happening, he's doing this. Yes, yes. To everyone, to the top echelon of media.
0: All the top mainstream press all over the world that are focused on the next NASA mission. Incredible. And are still covering, of course, the the, the Apollo mission because the astronauts are not home safely yet.
1: And if I was a random person, I couldn't just go in there, could I? If I was not connected to anything? No,
0: no, no. In fact, these guys, these press guys, the NASA press office they tried to keep robert heinlein out during the viking mission one night right their security was so tight they wouldn't let heinlein in who'd written about missions to mars and all that until of course some of us all stood up in the press room and said are you guys nuts and then they relented and they gave him a pass and all that so getting Mm. in there just not just anybody could walk in off the street what made it even more interesting and i again report all this in the opening to dark mission the secret history of nasa he was being squired around the press room by an official nasa representative Mm -hmm. named frank bristow Mm -hmm. who worked for jpl he was the press guy working with the news media his boss was a guy named frank costello and he was part of the overall public affairs office which worked with universities and and you know non-media non-news people news people had a deadline so we got Mm -hmm. special you know Special but
1: but when you were handed this. You obviously must have thought it was a joke. Did people laugh? How did they react?
0: Well, we had so many weird people show up in the press room because it just was kind of like you know a NASA Woodstock. Every two or three years, we'd <laughs> <laughs> and weird people would show up. Yeah. You know, even not being a Star Trek conference, they would show up in costume. Yeah. Of course, yeah. they turned away. So to me, I just thought this was somebody who knew Frank because I knew Frank pretty well. Uh And um, he just let him in because it was such a joke. It was like an inside joke. It was like, look at the the wild aspects of our culture responding to landing on the moon and all that. And I did not save the packet. I didn't save the little Mylar flag. I didn't save the know, two-page sheet. Oh, I wish... Well, how
1: could you know? Back then, you were also mainstream. You had no... You went into suspicion or anything back then, right?
0: Not really, no. You were blue-eyed. I believe NASA was, you know, the best thing since sliced bread because yeah, it was opening yeah. up doorways to a future. I mean, I always have the opinion that if we're all stuck on Earth, we're going to die. We've got to get off this planet for the human species to survive. I did not realize that we've been off Earth an awful lot before. That came later, you know, the whole anti high-tech civilization meme. Yeah. But I still was a, was a was a booster for NASA. I was what they would call now a fanboy because mm. NASA was the cutting edge. And to have a president announce we were going to land on the moon on behalf of all mankind in an era where we were threatening each other with nuclear weapons, I mean, that appeared to be a pretty unifying goal, yeah. to go somewhere on behalf of all mankind. We came in peace. Yep. And the idea that NASA would have layers and layers and wheels within wheels and hidden agendas and secret missions and secret you know, research projects, that never back then occurred to me. It never occurred to any of us. But this stood out as a really interesting anomaly, and I write about it in some detail in the opening of Dark Mission, because that, to me, was the birth of the we never went to the moon meme. Mm. And it was officially fostered by NASA. Mm. Now, if you go to the moon and your real mission is to go and find secret E.T. stuff, technology, artifacts, libraries, data, data evidence of a previous civilization or many previous civilizations and you can't let the world know that's your real mission given to you by a president because he saw corona spy satellite photographs of ancient ruins on the moon mm. it makes total sense that you would start a meme that would keep that part of the population about the same percentage that voted for donald trump by the way about 30 percent now believe he never went to the moon mm. So you keep all those people who will ask questions, who will make noise, who will upset the apple cart, who will be the rabble rousers. You keep them focused on a false meme, a false trail, a false puzzle.
1: This is known uh, as a tactic. You have the same phenomenon in all controversial matters. I'll just give one example. Dr. Joseph Farrell has argued that you see the same strategy used in the Roswell case. Now, you have a phenomenon uh, on the one hand, you have the segment of population who, who won't believe it, the debunkers, right? So you give them swamp gas and weather balloons. Okay. Then you have the believers. You feed them the alien meme. And if the truth is, for instance, Nazi technology or at least human technology, voila, you you have the perfect divide and conquer. I agree. This is exactly what's going on here, too, because on the one hand, you have the official story. Yeah, we went there with the traditional technology. We found some dust case closed. Then you have the no, we didn't go there, and buried in between, in the synthesis of the thesis and the
0: antithesis, the secret space program. Mm. Well, I have more data. Remember, I love data. <clears throat> yep. So, we fast forward the film from July 1969, an official NASA press person squiring around a guy who's handing out a pamphlet saying, we never went to the moon, it's all a hoax. As the astronauts are still not back on Earth? <laughs> yep. All right, so you plant the meme. Yeah. Then you fast forward the film to maybe 10 years later where this kind of really takes root and there's websites and Fox did a special and they talked to some engineers and they talked to some other folks and, oh, we never, Apollo could never have worked the way it was reported to be and the lem weighed too little and the door wasn't big. I mean, there's a million reasons for why Apollo was a mm-hmm. hoax, according to these people. Yeah. And it has an incredible public resurgence. It does. In contradiction, an a honest space writer, who I used to know, at least back when he was honest, named James Obert, offers to...
1: Hey, hey, is he related to the Nazi Obert
0: in I don't know. NASA? I don't know.
1: It wouldn't surprise me.
0: No, that was that was von puttheimer That was Jesko von puttheimer who definitely was a Nazi, and who came down on me back when I didn't know what I know now, like a ton of bricks. And I could never understand why I became his enemy number one. Now I kind of understand because they were worried that I would be on a trail that ultimately might lead where we are now this evening.
1: Yeah, but I was, I was referring to Herman Oberth, I think is his name.
0: Oh, no, no. Oberg O-B-E-R-G as opposed to Oberth. Right. Yeah, right. Herman Oberth was totally no relation to James. James Oberg was a science writer. He actually was a propulsion engineer. He worked on the shuttle program. His specific specialty was the hydrazine tanks for the um, um, auxiliary power units. I believe I may be getting that wrong.
1: Oh, this is the chap who has attacked your book so much, isn't it?
0: Now, well, he's attacked my, he's attacked me, he's attacked uh, Ken yep. Johnston. Crazy guy. He's he's a he's a professional paid debunker. Yes, and he, we now know he worked for the Air Force. He was Air Force intelligence. There you go. Uh, at one point, and he and I were best friends up until. I got into the subject of Sidonia,
1: uh-huh.
0: and then suddenly our friendship disappeared, like snow on the sun side of Mercury. It just poof, gone. And I can. Well, that's
1: a nice uh, corroboration of you being onto it, then.
0: Well, possibly. Anyway, so Oberg, Oberg you know, Mister Skeptical, Mister, you know, NASA. Of course, NASA went to the moon. I work for NASA. Mm. He offers to write for NASA a book, totally taking on the moon hoax crowd and debunking all their, pun intended, lunatic ideas <laughs> yeah. based on the Apollo record of how we didn't go. Okay. And and for, for like, you know, the, the blink of an eye, he actually has a NASA contract. Like I had a NASA contract to do a book out of Goddard years ago. He has a NASA contract to do this book until one morning he doesn't. NASA pulls all his funding. And he suddenly is an author with an idea with no publisher. Hmm. So why did NASA suddenly withdraw their support from James Oberg, who was going to write a book proving that Ah, NASA went to the moon? I get
1: it. They don't want
0: it. Answer, because if he started digging around as a guy with all his contacts and as a journalist with umpteen aerospace connections, he would find out, oh my God, it was a cover story. Not only did they go... But oh my God, look what they really found.
1: Yeah, that, that, plus if he really manages to convince people,
0: then we won't have this distraction out there that NASA needs. Exactly. Then people will start focusing on, well, if NASA did go to the moon, what did they really find? Mm. And of course, what they really found is all the stuff I've been publishing for the last 30 years. Now... Fast forward the film again. I, I can come back to film because I really like film. It's so permanent. <laughs> Fine. Electronics can be da- tampered with, but if you can save your film, uh, you've got a, a record that will stand the test of history. Hmm. So we fast forward the film to the great eclipse of, ni- of 2017. Now, thousands, literally Al, thousands upon thousands of amateur photographers who journeyed all, from all over the United States and actually from other parts of the world to see this two-and-a-half-minute eclipse that went from Oregon all the way to South Carolina the other day. Mm-hmm. They have all photographed in their records the shining cities on the moon. They have done what Project Corona tried to do with primitive film technology decades and decades ago, but now they've got CCD cameras See the main problem in photographing a lunar eclipse is the incredible light range of the from the edge of the moon out to the corona. When mm. when the, when the when the last bit of the photosphere is hidden by the moon during the eclipse, the light falls by a factor of about ten thousand to one. Right. And the moon is covering the inner corona, so the 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 radiance of light from the edge of the moon out to where the corona disappears to the eye. That's a range of about a million to one. So you have incredible light ranges that the human eye adapts to. We have incredibly well-designed you know, designed optics uh, through evolution or whatever. We can encompass this in this awe-inspiring visual treat. But up until recently, the, the film technology, the camera technology, was just not there to capture it. Like if you look at any old photographs of a, of a total solar eclipse, you've got the black moon surrounded by this brilliant glowing haze of light fading away to the sky with a few details like maybe helmet streamers things that stick up further and you know it's not it's not a circle it's kind of like an uneven splotchy circle mm. but when you see a proper 21st century CCD technology camera charge coupled device camera where the electronics can handle a million to one in each pixel, and you have computer programs that can basically adjust the brightness from the edge of the moon out to the edge of the corona, seen through the atmosphere, you get stunning, staggering detail in the corona, in the prominences, at the edge of the moon, and glowing... Hey,
1: hey, did he use this footage in in that documentary that came out a few years ago? What's it called again? The Living Moon or something like that? This... uh I think it's Mexican. This director who made this beautiful—he just took footage, cleaned it up, and.
0: You mean José Arguez?
1: What, what's the name of the documentary then?
0: my um, uh, something about the moon. I know Jose. Yeah, yeah, uh, I think it's him. Yes. Yeah, I uh, think it's. Ar- uh,
1: yeah, Escamilos or something. Yes, yes.
0: Oh, oh I'm sorry. Jose Arguez was my friend who did the Mayan calendar. It's uh, Escamillos is the is the uh, videographer you're talking about. Yes. Uh, I don't know whether he's captured this because his. Documentary was shot maybe ten years ago.
1: This latest to- beautiful, stunning images.
0: Yeah, there it may be on them. I have to go and look, but I do know on all of the thousands upon thousands of uncensorable people who've been putting these amazing images of the eclipse on the web, all over the world. Mm-hmm. You can see the shining cities that Kennedy saw on that early corona spy satellite imagery you can see them now on anybody's decent ccd image with a nikon or a, even even a smartphone you can take yeah. pictures of the moon with a telescope that show you the cities they're that little glowing band circling the very edge of the moon during an eclipse for decades and decades hundreds of years people have thought that was the inner corona no It's not. It's the glass structures on the moon shining with the light of the sun behind it, because that's the way this glass works. And I can actually uh, I'm going to do another uh, documentary. We're doing two videos now, one about to be published on the preview of the of the Mars book, Hidden Mars, A War in Heaven. Mm -hmm. There'll be a there'll be about a two hour video that we're going to come out with in the next couple of weeks. Nice. Showing showcasing some of the best data from that book. I'm then going to do another video, PowerPoint, you know, with on the on the eclipse showing the structures on the moon that thousands upon thousands of people have documented from the earth that answers so many mysteries about eclipses, mm. like how do shadow bands form? Mm. Do you know anything about shadow bands? Hey, where where can
1: people find these movies when they're out that you're going to They'll use?
0: be able to find them, they'll be able to find them on our website, Enterprise Mission. They'll be able to find them on the other side of midnight, which is our radio show, global on shortwave and the internet and AM and FM and all that. They'll also be able to find them on major outlets like Amazon Prime and Google and YouTube, if Google and YouTube. Okay. Because
1: if you keep to your timetable, it will be out when this show is out. So they can go now as they hear this and check it out. Hey, is the very weird, huge Aristarchus crater a part
0: of this? Yes.
1: Yeah. That explains it, a lot.
0: It, 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 well, it's made of glass. You can actually see glass structure. Yeah. And, the reason and it's is,
1: always lighting. It's always lighting
0: up. It's always lit. And during the Apollo missions, I forget which missions, I think it may have been Apollo 11, um, Armstrong reported back to Houston, they saw weird glowing lights in Aristarchus as they passed south of it. Wow. And it may be that there are still the fires burning deep down from the uh, impact that created Aristarchus several million years ago because the, the moon is not it's not hollow, but it does have massive structures going down 40, 50 miles under the surface that we see. Right. It's honeycombed, it's artificial, and that's, that's all going to be, when we do a moon book, we're going to put all this moon data together and document again those assertions.
1: It's not hollow, but can this explain why it rang like a bell?
0: Oh, yeah, because it's what I call the trestle effect okay when when you were kids, did you there in Norway ever go to a railroad track and put your head down, your ear down on the on the on the rails to hear a train coming? Yes, we used to do that too. And we had a we had a particular bridge that went over a a, a river in my backyard, well, kind of in my backyard. So after the train would pass, we would listen to the rails because that trestle that the train had crossed over, Mm-hmm. It would shake, rattle, and roll for like half an hour after the trend had passed. Right. Resonance, yes. Resonance, yes. So what? remember how the Apollo's uh, missions set up a little science experiment called the ALCEP package, Apollo Lunar Science Experiment Package? And in each of those packages, at least some of the missions, they had what was called a seismometer mm. to, to measure moonquakes. And one of the stunning weirdnesses of the Apollo program was that the moonquakes – last for hours, particularly Mm, when they would smash into the moon uh, rocket stages. They would impact the S-4B, the fourth stage rocket from the Apollo stack. They would direct that to an impact to create a seismic energy event. Then they would, you know, an artificial moonquake. Then they would use the seismometers as part of their network. This time they had like several set up Apollo 11, Apollo 12, Apollo 14. So they could basically map moonquakes in the interior of the moon by using the energy of an impact and they would also direct the upper stage of the lunar module after they had transferred back to the command module in lunar orbit they would redirect that by computer remote control to to ignite its engines and then burn to where it would impact on the moon and they would use those energy events to try to map the interior so you get you know the crust and the mantle and the core and An interior idea of what the moon is like. Like Mm -hmm. they map the Earth's interior using earthquakes. Well, the moon is so much quieter in terms of natural events that you have to use artificial events, either explosions, explosives, Mm -hmm. which they actually carried some on some of the later missions, Apollo 16 and 17, had little grenade launchers. Didn't they nuke the moon a few years ago? No, no, no. There was a proposal. Okay. which Sagan was involved in to nuke the moon. Thank God they never did that.
1: Yeah, but they did bomb it uh, a few years ago with something. No, uh, no, no,
0: no, no. All they did was to to drop it, uh, escape velocity, an upper stage, a centaur upper stage, and it's the kinetic energy that gets converted into shock waves and sound mm. and heat. No explosive used on the Lacrosse mission. That was the name of the mission. That's when they found water or whatever it was, right? That's yeah. when they found water and a whole bunch of others, high-tech stuff they haven't talked about.
1: Yeah, there's so much here. We have to get back to that another time. We need to go get back to NASA, Richard. So anyway, but before we do that,
0: yeah? Let, let me conclude this about the eclipse. Oh, yeah, So yeah. during this eclipse, beginning actually with the one in 1999, the one that came across Europe,
1: yeah.
0: camera technology, i now gone back and i looked, and the camera technology is good enough, it's able to separate the lunar domes glowing above the surface of the moon from the background inner corona, 93 million miles behind the moon Mm. film technology could never separate these CCD digital technology now has. And so literally thousands, if not tens of thousands of Americans and other people who came here for this latest eclipse, you know, a couple weeks ago, Mm -hmm. they all have photographed and put on the web their own independent record of the ancient glass structures on the moon. And they don't know about it yet. Because they assume what they photographed is the inner corona, and it's not. It's the structures that Kennedy asked corona to verify before he developed his program to send Apollo to the moon to get artifacts and was killed for it because he was going to share them with the Soviet Union. And probably the public, too. Well, ultimately, they would shared it with everybody. Mm-hmm and that's, you know, remember this rumor for years has been out there, he was killed because of UFOs he was yeah. going to declassify UFOs no, he was going to declassify stuff that stands still mm-hmm. that we could go, human beings could go in an expanded Apollo program
1: well, it's not an either or, is it?
0: it's not if an it, either or, no Because no, remember, if, so, if
1: someone is, is traveling around with covert technology a
0: lot of UFOs are not you, they're not unidentified, they're identified
1: yeah, and that, you know what is, I'm so glad you said that because we, when we were talking about definitions and, and people jumping to interpretations, I think it's probably intentional that when people hear the word UFO, what do they think about? They think about an alien spacecraft.
0: Exactly. That's a meme. That's a
1: hypnosis thing.
0: Which brings me to the the one issue that I really want people to register on, on our interview this, this evening. Yep. The whole reason for keeping this part of NASA secret. For having two space programs, one we get to see and one we don't get to see, both, you know, uh, processed by the NASA people that we do get to see, as well as a secret space program using anti-gravity technology that we've never gotten to see. The whole reason for keeping all this secret, I think, has nothing to do with Brookings has nothing to do with Margaret Mead about the dangers of human beings encountering alien cultures super more advanced. Well, that's the excuse. That's the excuse. I think the real reason is to keep totally, totally secret the real history of human beings.
1: And and if uh, they find advanced technology and they start applying it, that must be kept secret, uh, lest people will realize, hey, it's not the others, it's us.
0: Well, well, the, well. see, that, that comes along for the ride. Because what, what's, what's the biggest bugaboo in Western society? The origin of humans. Genesis. Right. Seven days, all right? God. Yep. And created us in his own image. If we find out that God had nothing to do with it, it was extraterrestrials. It was members of our own family in a genetics lab that tinkered together Homo sapiens sapiens, you know, millions of years ago and not God. Mm -hmm. then everything that we believe in as a culture, as a tradition, not only our religion, but a whole bunch of other world-class religions, all becomes open to question. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Now, what comes along for the ride is if it's all our stuff, it means we can ultimately read it, we can decode languages, we can decode the science, and the science, of course, will completely free us from fossil fuels, from the 1% oligarchic rule of the planet, from monopoly, government, all of the things that are keeping us down on the farm <laughs> yeah. would be lifted if these technologies and this science were to be made public.
1: So it's a, it's a threat to both the paradigms
0: and the money. Absolutely. So it's, uh, it's case closed. Now it, but see, it's not case closed. It's only case closed until you have a democratized space program. Welcome Elon Musk and Jeff no. Bezos and those guys who are basically...
1: Richard Branson...
0: Richard Branson, who thanked God survived his hurricane, why did he want to ride out Irma in a storm cellar in in his island? I don't understand Branson. I mean, maybe he just in, in for cheap thrills, but really, you can get killed in a hurricane. I've lived through two or three. This he did for fun. Yesterday, he lived oh, wow. in, in, his storms, in a storm in a wine cellar, and apparently, a lot of his structures on that island are now destroyed. Branson is one of the pioneers who's going trying to democratize space. Musk is the big guy because Musk wants to go way beyond low Earth orbit. He wants to go beyond the moon. He wants to go to Mars. Mm. He wants to put private citizens on Mars. I wonder how
1: naive these people are or how much they really know about what's going on.
0: I have a feeling. I mean,
1: they need – probably. They must have some personal uh, intelligence.
0: Or, Al, they are part of a secret society which is thousands of years in the making – Called the Shem Su Hor, descendant from ancient Egypt, whose mission, whose mandate is to recreate the first time when we were a multi-planet species.
1: Back to the golden age.
0: Yes. And I think Mm. that's what Musk is. I think that's what a lot of people that we know in the news really are. They're agents for the Shem Su They're trying to expand humankind's opportunities while the other guys, the bad guys, mm-hmm. are trying to basically kill us all off. Yeah. But
1: we are getting ahead of ourselves. Um, <laughs> I want you to go back to the parallel space program. Okay. And... Uh, the fake space race you've mentioned, but we, we we can't get away from something that's even before this, namely the Operation Paperclip, the rockets fired into Mexico, mm. NASA being compromised and and what I perceive and probably you too if you haven't changed your mind, the covert battle between the Masons and the Nazis. Let me just say first, that the only thing I take issue with in your whole book I beg to differ on one small point, and that is the magicians. Okay. I concede that you could, you know, define some people as it. But as I see it, there's, they are much too few. It's just a handful. Plus, at the end of the day, you can argue that the magicians are an extension, a fringe of the masons. They're on the same team, I think. But I do see a huge divert in NASA between what you've, again, been the first to point out Namely Masons and Nazis. And I think people need to understand that subculture within NASA to, you know, understand all of this other stuff we're talking
0: about. Um, I don't I don't I don't disagree. The reason that Mike and I mentioned the three groups is because the, the ritual part, particularly the Jack Parsons part, was so interesting and it was centered in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Hollywood defines the vision of the world. Our ideas, our are look at all the the super tentpole movies now with all this extraordinary exotic sure. technology saying that Nazis are alive and well and right in our midst, you know. Absolutely. The Captain America. And
1: Nazis on the
0: moon. Have you seen that? Uh, yes, yes. And everybody laughs. laughs. And I don't. finish
1: film, by the way. <laughs> not Hollywood.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So... And you know what? The person who wrote the manuscript, she claims she got it in a dream. It's not interesting.
0: Hmm... Yeah, that makes a nice cover.
1: <laughs> well, she, got, she gets sponsors anyway, but
0: I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that inspiration can't come from, you know, if someone's trying to enlighten the planet, you can do it that way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you just have to be receptive, and then you have to have all the prerequisites to take it from the idea to where it actually becomes a finished product, and a lot of people can see it. That's the hard part. Mm. Coming up with the idea is probably not that hard. It's getting it in the real world, which is really, really – look at how long I've been working on this problem. 30-some years to get acknowledgement in the mainstream that there are Mm. two levels of NASA. There's Mm. real data, and then there's, you know, kind of massage data. There's the sanitized information about, you know, radiation and rocks and craters and that stuff. Then there's the super secret knowledge NASA has, which is we live in an ancient inhabited, previously inhabited solar system. And then we have, you know, outposts of current Incredibly advanced technology and civilization living somewhere in the solar system that doesn't really interact with us all that much. Then we've got the Nazis post-World War II, who, a la Richard Dolan, basically have taken human, the worst of humankind and gone out there and colonized and are you know feeding off the ruins, probably back-engineering the technologies they found. And like the 800-pound gorilla, they can live anywhere they want to. And I think they are now vying for control of the planet. I think we're involved yeah. now in a yeah. major war between the breakaways and the 1% here for who's going to run Earth. Right. And this started overtly with 9-11. If you look at Joseph's work and my work, the technology that brought down those buildings was not, you know, Nukes, it wasn't C4, it wasn't anything conventional, it was incredibly torsion field technology, which, in the word of Dr. Judy Wood, can justify buildings.
1: Mm. Yeah, thanks to you, you brought Judy Wood to our attention too, actually. But uh, do you – so in your hypothesis, the Nazi faction is still alive and well? Oh, yeah. Or their descendants? Oh, yeah.
0: No, 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 no. Well, this, is their, this is their descendants. Unless they actually mm. conquered, you know, the gene. And who knows what their research could have led led to. Can you imagine a Martin Bormann, you know, 200 or 300? Oh, my God.
1: Yeah. You know, in many ways, I I think I would prefer Hitler to Martin Bormann. Although it's, of course, uh, what you say between a rock and a hard place. But
0: yep. – See, I have a feeling that that whole philosophy, and Joseph and I have interesting arguments when yep. we actually talked about this, he does not seem to look at that period in German history uh, in the way I do. I look at that period from before the war through the war as the most incredibly fertile, innovative, scientific period in human modern history. Like, look at how many weapons, look at how many technologies, look at how many sciences the Germans pioneered and did absolutely breakthrough work in, all crammed into a space of 10 or 20 years. I have a feeling. And We've,
1: uh, we have the, we've had uh, 10 programs about this. We've really explored the Nazi faction and we've substantiated that they had, with not just Joseph, lots of researchers, okay. they had unlimited money. They had uh, uh, the best network uh, you could get at the time. They had the best brains and they had, of course, the advanced technology surviving. And they had a genius uh, orchestrating this all, namely Martin Bormann. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you lo- if you read Dark Mission and you see what you ra- write about the Nazi faction in NASA, you see that they are reporting to someone. Now, most people think, oh yeah, they all uh, survived, but it was like disparate and chaos. No. It seems like an orchestrated, synchronized thing. Uh, Stay behind, you you know, in NATO, they had that. They had the CIA. uh, They had uh, the Bormann billions. It has to be that they were all reporting to Bormann. Now, one of the things we are trying to track up and, and determine is to what degree did an autonomic enclave of Nazis have their own little space program and who's really... Who influenced who? That I guess we could come in, discuss today because yeah, I, sure. I want us to discuss the Nazis and all that. So that's a big question too. And if, if the Nazis have some kind of autonomic, either within our Western structure or their own totally separate structure then the abductions and the genetic manipulations makes a lot of sense.
0: Yes, under the cover of aliens, convenient cover of aliens. Exactly. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at the whole Nazi era as, uh, imagine, you know, and again, these are the parts where Joseph and I kind of had disagreement, because yeah. I have a feeling the Nazis had off-world help. I see. I think if, if humanity is much, much older and much more diverse than we've been allowed to know, and that we've lived in this section of the galaxy as Homo whatever for millions and millions of years, you can imagine that one faction of that vast, sprawling, multicultural human experience across a Milky Way galaxy, that one faction would love to play God with local, you know, behind the the barn cousins, and would feed technology to a faction that would take over those cousins in a way of, basically making a controlled experiment. Mm. I think the Nazis had help from people who are as bad as they are, and they took their imprint from those extraterrestrial humans, not aliens, humans, cousins, who don't live here and have not lived here for a very long time. Now, some of the places they might live, if you look back at ancient Egyptian history, they might have lived at Sirius. The whole Mm. Sirius star system, the whole idea of, ETs in human form from Sirius Mm. is not is not a stranger to people who read up on this stuff. Uh, The connection culturally with the ancient Egyptians, Isis, Osiris, Horus, all that coming by way of Sirius. So if, if you look at our nearby galactic neighborhood and you imagine that that there may have been after the Great War, a diaspora. You know, Mm. if the solar system is no longer habitable, which it wasn't for quite a while, Mm. where would you go if you had starflight capability? Where would you go if you had torsion field technology that could literally take you to Alpha Centauri in a couple of hours? You would leave this solar system. You'd go somewhere else. We now know there are something like 40 billion Earth-like planets in the Milky Way alone, based on the Kepler data and the NASA data they published on habitable star systems and other Earths and all that. that. That curve is coming up. Interestingly, it's public, it's not hidden, but of course the the, the propaganda is, oh, we can never get there and they can never get here. If you remove that impediment, if star travel is as easy as, you know, Stargate SG-1, you walk into a device and bingo, you're there, which is not beyond the laws of torsion field physics, then everything we think we know about the galaxy and big distances and all that and God's so-called quarantine regulations, you throw out the window. So would it behoove some faction of the Earth survivors who fled after the Great War, who then come back, again, why does family care because family is family? Mm. Some faction of them want to structure Earth now in their own image, God in their image, but they're not God.
1: Asaboso so below.
0: Yeah. yeah. So this soap opera is, is, is unimaginable for most people. Of course, it
1: sounds like madness to them. But if you follow the data, uh, this is uh, what we call expert guess. It is a justified speculation. Yeah. There are some things we just can't know. But if we go back to Earth, I think there's some things we can know. For instance, do we need a separate Nazi culture? Because if you study NASA and CIA and and even through your, your work, it seems to me that the Nazi faction, actually, you could read into it that they have taken over.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's my thesis in Dark Mission, that after the war... Yeah,
1: exactly, but then you have, then it's not an external, quote-unquote, enemy. Then it's, then they went into our system, our structure, and more or less hijacked it. Yeah. Together with the Wall Street fascists,
0: dolls and those. I agree, okay. But, but now we have, we have revolutionaries inside NASA. Have you been following any of the work, Al, on the m Drive? No, not Oh my gosh. I'm so glad in the last 50 minutes of our show I can talk about the (laughs) M-Drive.
1: You know what? Let's Let's take take a break. break. And And when we come come back, 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 tell us us about the M-Drive. Okay.
0: All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating
1: $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page.
0: Thanks.